All right, Sixers fans, the James Harden era continues with another win at home against the New York Knicks. Should we get a little crazy at 3-0? No, we're not going to get that crazy. Let's be honest. They beat the Knicks in back-to-back games. But we'll jump into what happened in this one. Before I do, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it, we are there. And, of course, check us out at LibertyBallers.com. we got a ton of great writers. Got you covered for all things Sixers as we head into the stretch drive of the season. And what we're hoping is going to be a very, very long playoff run. Joining me, one of the people behind the magic you see at LibertyBallers.com, Mr. Dave Early. Dave, how are you feeling coming into this game, and how much excitement has there been around the team, and especially in Philly, since they made this hardened deal? A, a lot of excitement. Um, it, it felt like so many of my fans, I grew up in New York, so many of my friends are Knicks fans, and they were saying this game is going to be a buzzsaw. Um, the Knicks actually uh, made it a game, but like pretty much till that third quarter. The excitement is totally off the charts. I know people have compared it to when the Eagles traded for Terrell Owens. Uh, you know, the Phillies got Cliff Lee. So I think it's up there in terms of, you know, something where you already kind of felt like you might have had a chance to go to a final four and then hopefully this puts you over the top. Um, just everything they've been through. I know it's cliche. I know we're going to hear so much of it on like the national stage, but having been through not just the process, but all the injuries that it, that came with it, you know, Joel Embiid re-breaking his foot, Ben Simmons breaking his foot and just all of this other stuff. Um, the saga with Ben Simmons a lot of people have said, like, we deserve this. And there's there's so much truth to that because it's not just that. It's also the on-court stuff. Like Having a guy who can do what James Harden is doing is something the Sixers fans have been starved for. So it's a really, really fun time for that fan base. And, and you see why, like, with the results, 3-0. Yeah, and we're, we saw what Harden did again in this one. 29 points, a rebound and an assist short of a triple-double. He had 9-9 nine and nine of those. You could just see the difference, Dave, I, you know, watching the first two games that they played on the road against the T-Wolves and then at, at the Garden on, uh, on Sunday in, in the afternoon affair. You know, watching, watching this team play, everything is so much smoother on the offensive end. And even when, when Harden hasn't been on the court, we're not seeing a terrible drop-off like we did when Embiid and Maxi were off the court prior to the deal. And a lot of that, I believe, obviously, is to do with the fact that Doc is now finally figuring out, hey, dude, I can stagger my best offensive players so we don't have just all bench lineups out there. Uh, seeing what Harden has done for Tyrese Maxey, specifically. Uh, Maxey at 25 again in this one, obviously not being tasked with being as much of a playmaker as he has been off the top of the key. Now you're seeing him get a lot more passes on the wing, I've seen him make a lot more cuts and be able to kind of catch the the pass on the kick and be able to just because he's so fast and athletic, be able to beat his man who's closing out on him. What, what do you think that what you've seen from Maxi? Do you think this is sustainable? He was, you know, playing really well. Obviously, the first two games he was he put up 49 points over two games, had 25 tonight, so right around 25 a game over and small sample size at just three games. But do you think what Maxi is doing so far is sustainable offensively, given? the way he's raised his level since Harden arrived? I guess the easy answer is, is no. I mean, we're right now we're in like almost too good to be true terrain, the way he's playing. And it was two games against the Knicks and one against the Wolves. Is he going to be this good when they're playing a team like Miami? I doubt it, but I, I can't believe how good he looks. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from this because those are some excellent defenses 
like a Miami, like, uh, you know, a team like Milwaukee, although their defense has fallen apart without Brooke Lopez, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Hitting the threes, he got eight free throws tonight. He hit four of six from deep. I mean, everything you want him to do, he's doing better than we expected. And as Sixers fans, like we were on his ascendance. We were excited about it right away. And I think he's blowing away even our own expectations uh, for the second year in a row here. Yeah. You know, we, once we knew Ben wasn't going to be a part of the roster and wasn't going to come back to Philly at all, you know, we know that the, the playmaking pressure was put on Tyrese Maxey, a second year guy who hadn't really played the point, wasn't used to kind of running things on the offensive end and and setting the table. And we saw him grow in that role. You know, even prior to Harden coming here, he was basically, you know, playing very, very good basketball. He was averaging almost 17 points a game. You look at the way he was, he was distributing his assist totals went up compared to last year, but he was just a, a very effective player for what he was doing. But now we're seeing him kind of reach this other level. Like we saw him do that crazy step back. I'm sure you saw that too. They were like, Whoa, Ooh. you know what I mean? Like did Harden teach him that in a week? You know what I mean? And then he had this crazy turnaround jumper with the shot clock running out. It was from the three point line. Uh, he got kind of caught in between no man's land, picked up his dribble couldn't find Embiid, literally just turned, faced the hoop, and chucked it up, and it went in. And so we're seeing how much Maxi has benefited from James Harden's arrival, and we've heard some of the national media talk about Stephen, uh, Stephen A. Smith, particularly talk about Tobias Harris, which is kind of dumb because it's indicative of how little Stephen A. Smith has watched the Sixers play this season, <laughs> saying, oh, you know, Tobias Harris needs to be getting, you know, more shots per game. It's like, no, he doesn't. And even, even when the... Sixers had Ben Harris, uh, pardon me, Ben Simmons on the floor. It was Embiid, Simmons, Harris. And Harris, to me, a very good NBA player, but on a championship contender, better suited to be maybe a 3-4 option rather than a hard number three. You know what I'm saying? And I think with with yeah. uh, with Maxi coming into his own right now, and again, a small sample size of three games, but we've seen how good he has played throughout the season. It's like, I think Harris is, is in a better spot, not only for the for the team, but for himself individually where teams aren't going to be able to key on him as much. He was a little bit better today at 14 points on five to 10 shooting also had seven rebounds. I did have five personal fouls too, which took away some playing time from him, but um, I'm liking what I'm seeing his fit next to James Harden. What are you, what are your thoughts so far on how Toby has looked over the past three games next to next to Harden and, and Embiid and Maxi? I, I agree with you hundred percent. And I agree with your take on Stephen A. Smith. I think, you know, he said before this game, what was it, NBA countdown, mm-hmm. that if Maxi is your third best player and it's detracting from Tobias Harris, then you can't win the East. And I thought that was kind of nuts. Um, everything you said, I think, was on point. If you're trying to manufacture these ISOs for Tobias Harris, it's a problem. We're already seeing a problem. Harris just trying, you know, trying to fit in and maybe be deployed as like a spot up shooter, but he's really not comfortable just putting up all those quick catch and shoot threes. Um, I know the crowd got on him a few times tonight in that, in Harden's home debut when he has like five or more feet of room and he decides not to shoot. You, you hear this collective groan and that's something that he's got to push through. I know we've said it going back to when they acquired him in 2019, but the stakes are as high as it was in 2019 and in 2021 uh, and arguably higher now. Oh, for sure. And, 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 you know, I think that's where the national media, because as much as the Sixers are one of the kind of glory NBA franchises, they haven't been getting a whole lot of love in terms of when you're watching first take, when you're watching 
you know, NBA countdown unless they're playing on the broadcast. Nobody really talks about them. And obviously, since the Harden deal, it's like the expectations have risen. And so when you're hearing people like Stephen A. Smith, one more thing, too. I, Stephen A. Smith said, and I saw somebody tweet this out before the game, like, they need Tyrese Maxey to play more point guard. What the hell are you talking about, dude? Like, have you not watched a, a single game of, 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 of not neither of the two games with Harden there of how much better Maxey looks on the wing? and maybe not being the primary creator with the first unit, although he's capable of doing that with the second unit. Like that kind of stuff to me gets infuriating to listen to. But uh, again, that's a topic for another day. We'll try and get Stephen A. Smith on at some point so I can ravage him on these points, but I don't ever want to come on. <laughs> but um, when, you're, when you're looking at, at this game in particular, and we saw how good things looked against the T-Wolves and, and on Sunday in, in New York, and, and you're looking at, at the first half in this game, the Sixers were down. They were struggling. They were down 62 55 things didn't look good on the offensive end. Turnovers were a big issue in the first half. The rebounding will continue to be an issue, I think, even with Harden's arrival, given up the amount of offensive rebounds they do. They give up 10 tonight against, a, not again, not a very good Knicks team. But uh, what do you think changed in that in that third and fourth quarter? You, lo you look at the Sixers outscoring the Knicks, 68-46 overall over the final 24 minutes. I, obviously, the Knicks are not on the same in the same stratosphere as the Sixers as a team. But what do you think really changed in that third quarter where Philly outscored New York 38 to 19, that kind of changes game around. In terms of on the court, I mean, they got Joel Embiid going that, that doesn't hurt. He was struggling a bit in the first half. He started finally like figuring out the defenses he was seeing. So I think that's one way we could spin it. The other thing is, and this might just sound like um, I'm con concocting a narrative, but I think there's something to it. Felt like there were jitters in the first half. Felt like, you know, there was an absolute playoff-like atmosphere, and we haven't seen that a ton this season. I know we did when Steph Curry came to visit, looking to break some records. Maybe we saw some when John Morant came to town. But this was one where there was extra, extra tension. And when the Knicks went up 12-13, it sounded like a library in the, home, the hometown uh, area, you know. So I think maybe the half allowed them to, uh, to shake some of that and, and find their groove and – Finally, they started getting some stops too. So they, they basically doubled them up 38 points to 19 points, which is kind of insane. Um, I know, you know, give Tibbs credit. Like he, he had them making really sound adjustments. I think they played them differently. They held Joel to like half as many free throws as he had the last time they played. Um, but, you know, once the Sixers had a chance to figure it out, I think they made the right adjustments and, shook off that sort of uh, James Harden's first game jitters. Dave, I want to jump into a couple more things. As we mentioned, Sixers 123-108 win over the Knicks. Now have won four in a row, 38-23 and 23 overall on the season. But lots of work to be done in terms of the standings. The Eastern Conference is going to be a bloodbath. You got a ton of good teams there. Let's jump into that after a short break. All right, Dave, and we're back. I uh, wanted to jump into the Sixers. Obviously, you know, like I said, they've won four in a row overall, three of those coming with James Harden in the lineup. But the schedule going to get a whole lot tougher now. You're looking at their next, I believe, seven out of the next eight games are against teams that are in playoff positioning. Uh, one of those teams is the Orlando Magic, which would be a perfect opportunity to maybe get Joel and beat some rest. But you're going to be playing some of the best teams in not only the conference, ac across the league. And so this will be a very good test and a good barometer to see where the Sixers stack up and if they're going to have to make any adjustments, given that 
James Harden's in there. And you're going to see, like you mentioned before the break there, Dave, you're talking about better defenses that we're going to see from Milwaukee, Miami, and how that's going to impact players like Tyrese Maxey. And also what these teams are going to pick up on through their scouting, watching video, and going through, okay, let's try and take advantage of where they think the Sixers are weak. And I mentioned seven out of the next eight games. And then after that, they got matchups against Toronto and Miami at home before heading on the West Coast for a quick three-game trip. But looking at this, like, how do you think the Sixers are going to match up? Because they got now, you got Cleveland, Miami, Chicago, Brooklyn. Those are your next four, again, big-time matchups considering the standings. Do you think the Sixers will be able to sustain this level of success, or do you expect them to hit a bit of a speed bump coming up in the next couple of weeks here, given their schedule and given the newness of still integrating James Harden, Paul Millsap, although it remains to be seen if Willie Cauley-Stein will get some run, which he didn't uh, in this one. But how, how do you think things will shake out for the Sixers in their next few games? And given what you know about Brooklyn from covering them too, do you expect the Nets to turn things around with Kevin Durant coming back? Yeah, I think things will will get much, much more difficult for the Sixers. I, there's sort of two two things on their agenda. There's their nightly opponent. Um, but given the way that they want to focus inward, it's going to be difficult to really scheme for the way you want to stop a Chicago Bulls one night and a Miami Heat on the second night of a back-to-back after the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's really, really tough. Uh, Doc Rivers probably doesn't have the luxury to – think about it the way he normally would, where he can focus outward on the other team, but he's got to ask himself questions like, do I like what I've done in terms of staggering Joel and B with Tyrese Maxey? And then maybe James Harden with Tobias Harris. Do I want to mix and match? I know in this game, he went to a little bit of all three of the wings uh, when Joel went to the bench. So I thought that was an interesting wrinkle in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. He's got to ask himself questions like you asked about Paul Millsap, who looks pretty much washed so far, but Doc's, sort of trying to breathe life into him on national TV. Um, and which is funny because then B-ball Paul Reed comes in and drains a three immediately as like, sort of like, why didn't you guys play me earlier? I <laughs> yeah, that. yeah, I saw that, yeah. So uh, I think they are going to hit some some snags. I do think there's going to be a learning curve as they try to be excellent teams without the type of chemistry that's – without the type of continuity that you get from just playing a lot of games together. Um if they sunk down to like, a, you know, the fourth seed, maybe a fifth seed, it wouldn't be shocking at all. Where do you think they end up finishing, Dave? Because you're looking at this right now, only 21 games left, you know, pretty much well balanced in terms of home and away. I, I think Miami has the advantage in that the Heat have played six more away games and road games. So that might be a hiccup to try to get maybe to the top spot, considering how good Miami has looked to it as of late. But where do you think the, the Sixers will ultimately end up finishing if if all things remain equal in terms of health? Um, you're looking at the, at the bulls right now, the bucks got a close 120, 119 went over the heat tonight. That one just finished up. Um, so now you're only two behind Miami for the top spot, two behind the bulls as the time we're recording this podcast. And basically, uh, would it be now it'd be a game up on, on, on Milwaukee for, for third, where do you think they're going to finish up in the Eastern conference standings, you know, over the last 21 games here? I don't know. It's a tough one, man. I, I looked at 538 before the game and they had them finishing second a couple games behind the Heat. I do think the Heat are going to win the top spot. I think the Heat are really, really good. They haven't even gotten a chance to play together yet. Um, we're so used to saying that the West is the tougher conference, but all year we've been saying the East is mm-hmm. you know, much improved and uh, it wouldn't be sh- shocking to see the, the Heat lock up that top spot. So I think I would have the Sixers finishing maybe in the four seed at this point. Wow, you actually think they're going to drop a little bit? Yeah, their schedule is tough. And, and I think the optimal 
version of the Sixers has some experimentation to do, you know, like you need to figure out how you're going to deploy Tobias Harris because he's been so reluctant to shoot. Do you want to leave a guy like Danny Green out there in some lineups to close a game because he's just going to shoot a three and you get more spacing on your Harden and Bead pick and roll? Um, so I think if you want to optimize for a playoff viable rotation, you're going to have to do some things that might not work in the short term just to figure all that out plus a brutal slate. So, yeah, they, I mean, they're going to have, like I mentioned, only one game against Orlando, which is coming up on the, on the 13th. And then after that, you got the Lakers in LA, not a very good team considering all things happening there, even though they have LeBron Westbrook and, and some name power. And we don't know what's going to happen with AD uh, Clippers playing pretty well. Who knows what happens with Paul George. And then you got Phoenix Milwaukee before the schedule does ease up a bit Oof. towards the end. Yeah. Towards the end of the season where you got, you know, teams like Indiana twice, Detroit twice, uh, Charlotte, who's in a free fall without Gordon Haywood there. Um, so yeah, this is going to be, it's going to be interesting to see, but I, I do think we would have looked at this before the season and been like, Oh, nice. We play the Cavs like four times at the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been the thing. And that that's another team I actually want to bring up with you, Dave, because I, I love what the Cavs have done. Obviously Darius Garland, a great story. Evan Mobley should be the rookie of the year and is going to develop into a monster. I covered USC for USA today. Uh, for a period while he was there and I got to see him up close and personal. And I, I said that from the start, I go, this dude's going to be a machine in the, in the modern NBA, but you're looking at Cleveland. Like when you're looking at those top six teams right now, and don't get me wrong. I, I do think Brooklyn's going to climb up once they get KD back. Uh, obviously he's just that damn good. And then uh, the Raptors have obviously turned things around from where they were earlier in the season, not too afraid of Charlotte and Atlanta. Although those two teams can give, your run for their money in at any point, you know what I mean? During, during a, a game and maybe take it to, to six games, maybe seven in, in a, in a playoff series. But, and so there's no disrespect to those squads, even Toronto. And let's just count Brooklyn out just for the time being, because they're outside the top six, which are the teams that are guaranteed to make the playoffs in the East and avoid the play-in. Is Cleveland that team that you would say, that's the squad I want to play in the first round if I'm the Sixers, if you were given a choice between Boston, Milwaukee, Chicago and Miami and Cleveland as your opponents? Mm, I think I might prefer the Bulls, to be honest. Hmm. Um, you know, I'm looking at their differential. The Cavs have been a little bit better. And I don't know. I just uh, I think those those two are the really close ones. But Joel Embiid has played some of his best game as a pro versus the Bulls. Um, you know, maybe this will sound like a terrible take because DeMar DeRozan has been that good. And if Zach Levine gets hot, that's a different team. They also could have Lonzo Ball and Caruso playing healthy towards the end of the year. So that's that's tough. You know, the Bulls are really good. I guess it's one of the two. And obviously, if you're getting Cleveland at this point, if the playoffs were today, it would be home court in Philly. So you got to take that. I'm with you. I would say Chicago and, and Cleveland would be actually my my two choices. I, and again, this is no disrespect to the Cavs. I just gushed over them for like 30 seconds there. So don't get, sure. too, don't get don't get too crazy there, Cleveland fans. But um, just that they're young, like, you know, they're young. Like you yeah. And, and when you look in the playoffs, like in the NBA, old teams tend to win and experienced yeah. teams tend to win. And you you've seen that where certain teams have to take their lumps in order for them to come together and, and win a championship. And, and that, that's what I'm saying. I think if we're following, it's like the NFL analogy, you know, rookie quarterbacks don't win Super Bowls. It's like, okay, until that happens, I'm going to side with history and say, okay, the Cavs might be able to, to take, let's just say Milwaukee it's to a seven game series, but they're going to end up losing game seven just on experience. And again, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just looking at Cleveland as that team, but the bulls I, I'm with you. They don't really scare me. They're obviously playing above their level to me. I think DeMar DeRozan has been great. 
definitely in the MVP conversation, although I do believe Joel Embiid will get that. But, uh, you know, I'm with you on that, on that Chicago and those. But when you're looking at like, okay, let's say you have to just name your top four teams, Dave, and you're like, these are going to be your, we don't know how the matchups are going to shake on the first round, but these are the best four teams in the East. And these are the four teams that you believe will be in the conference semifinals. Who would you choose right now? I would pick Miami one, Milwaukee two, Sixers three, and I would pick Celtics four because I don't know what's going on with Ben Simmons and uh, Kyrie Irving's only eligible for seven more games out of 19. So at this point, obviously a fully locked and loaded Brooklyn team would be a complete hellscape for anyone trying to, you know, establish a road to the playoffs. If you think about that path Sixers had last season and how good it was, it'd be the total opposite if you had to play the Brooklyn Nets in the first round this year. Imagine playing like if you beat the Nets, then you have to play the Heat. And then if you win that, then you have to play the Bucks. It would just be absolute murderers, bro. Um, so I'll go with those four teams for now. But obviously the Nets have more upside than I think the Celtics. I'm scared of that, Dave. I'm not going to lie. I'm scared. Yeah. I'm scared of the fact that Brooklyn's going to finish seven or eight and take the seven. Yeah. And we're going to see the Sixers and, and Brooklyn. Uh, not scared of Ben Simmons at all, but having to take on Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, who might be able to play full time at that point, depending on what happens happens with the vaccine mandates in New York. That's a that again, not saying the Sixers can't beat them. That's just a matchup you want to avoid in the first round. And I think any team at the top of the conference would want to avoid at this point because just looking at the gap too, Dave. Like like I mentioned, you you do some writing and you covered the Nets for for clutch points. Like they're four and a half back of the Celtics to get into number six. There's only what 27, 28 games left. Like, are they really gonna get there? You know what I mean? Like or uh, or come closer, yeah. not even 27, 28, sorry. There's, uh, you know, 17, 18 games left for, for Boston. You're looking at the Nets. They got 19 games left. That's it. They're not going to make up that ground. So where do you think the Nets are going to finish up now that KD is coming back? From what we've heard, Ben Simmons not anywhere close to returning. We heard that from Woj, basically saying that he still needs time. He's had some setbacks with his back. You're looking at maybe what, mid-March? You know, you're getting into the third, fourth week of March at that point. Like, where do you think the Nets are going to end up, given what you know about them as well? I think they're going to be in that play-in as of right now. You know, it's hard to see them getting healthy enough to rattle off so many games to make up four uh, over some of these really good teams like like Boston, like Cleveland. So if Ben Simmons really is going to be out for another month, and if Kyrie only plays in – you know what they the latest I heard was they're going to revisit and make some key changes on March 7th, but those still won't affect Barclay Center. Um, so if there's a scenario where like if they had to play if the playoffs were today, they're going to Toronto and then it doesn't matter what happens in New York City, Kyrie can't play. So mm-hmm. there are some scenarios where you host the playoff game if you're Brooklyn and don't have him, and then you're on the road and also don't have him. Uh, things are pretty tough to be a Nets fan, and I know. From covering the Nets, fans feel like what else could go wrong over the last 18 months? You have a super team and you never get to see him play. Um, but at the end of the day, like you said, I'm scared of that because that's the absolute worst case scenario for anyone who has to face in first round. Yeah, you know, we're talking about the Sixers potentially. I think if they finish as the one seed and let's say they beat Miami twice in, the, in their two meetings that they have left on the schedule – all right, you're in good position. You know what I mean? You can take on the second play-in team, whether that's Toronto, Charlotte, or Atlanta. I think you'd be pretty confident going into that series. I think they'd be confident playing against Brooklyn. But again, that two seed might not be something they want to finish in. I'm like, you may as well want to finish at three and take on maybe Cleveland or Boston 
uh, or Milwaukee if the Bucks fall there, and that would be a better first-round matchup. But that's what makes the Eastern Conference so intriguing. There's so much left to figure out it's over crazy. the next five, yeah. yeah, next five or so weeks here. Uh, we're going to be all over it, Dave. Let's wrap things up there. I want to thank you for joining me, your regular fixture on our podcast network, and always appreciate having you on, my man. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. All right, that's Dave Early. Don't forget, you can catch him on libertyballers.com. He does a ton of great work for us, also covers the Nets for Clutch Points, and you can follow him on Twitter as well, at David Early, exactly how it's spelled. Catch up with me at jazzkang 21 And as I mentioned off the top, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it, we are there. And of course, as I mentioned, libertyballers.com going to be your go-to resource for all things Sixers as we head into the final 21 games of the regular season. James Harden era starts at 3-0, but things are going to get a whole lot tougher. As we mentioned during the pod, seven of the next eight games for Philly against playoff teams. And so we're going to get to measure up where this team stands against the best in the East. And it's going to be an exciting time. So don't forget, as I mentioned, follow us along. We'll have you covered for all things Sixers as we head into the final couple of months of the season. If Tyrese Maxey hits these step back threes, we're good. We're good. You know what? We better, you know what, Dave, I'm going to look for this. He better keep this up going into this. <laughs> Otherwise we're going to have a lot more to discuss next time we record a podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs>